Greetings to each one in Jesus' name. It's a joy to see each of you, visitors, everyone. Good to be here together. Character of God that begins with an I. Who has an I characteristic of God that they'd like to share with us? Invisible. Invisible. Integrity. Thank you. Immortal. Immeasurable? Incomparable? How about immutable? For I am the Lord, I change not. Numbers says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? So in God, no change is possible. He is immutable. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11. I would like to look at the first 16 verses. I've entitled the message, Head, Hair, and Honor. Is that okay? It's not just about the woman's prayer railing. It's about head or headship, as well as our physical appearance with our head. It's also about honor. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I ruled them to you. Keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every man that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves, is it calmly that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Now, I color-coded in my Bible. 
the word head. You want to do something, take a look at the different usages of the word head in this passage. So I said the title is head, hair, and honor. So let's take a look at head. In verse 3, we have three uses of the word head, and I color-coded that with the same color because that is dealing with figurative use of the word head. Now, do we have other places in the scripture that head is used figuratively? Yeah, we do. We have places where it says that Christ is the head of the church. We have a place where it says that, that man is to be head of the woman. So that's figuratively there. In verse 4, we have two times the word head. And the first one is obviously literal. That's my head as I'm touching it right now. In verse 5, we have the first use of the word head, and that's head as I'm touching it right now. As we go to verse 7, that is head as I'm touching it right now. In verse 10, we have head, head as I'm touching it right now. What about the ones in verse 4 and 5 that are not obviously figurative, not obviously literal? I'm just going to suggest that there's a dual meaning for both of those times that head is used when it says that every man praying or prophesying having his head covered dishonoreth his head. I'm suggesting spiritual head as well as what he is to represent as a man. You take it as you like, but that's what I see, that there is something there that's of a dual nature in that word head in both verse 4 and verse 5. In verse 5 it says, Every woman that prayeth or prophesied with her head, literal head, uncovered, dishonoreth her head, meaning dishonored what her physical head is to represent, but also the person of man that is to be over her as a safety, as an authority, as a person who gives direction. Now it's clear that God has set up headship. Right from the beginning, he has set up that there is to be order. We can't have two heads, and some marriages have trouble because there are two people trying to do what one is supposed to do. We sometimes say the one wears the pants that is supposed to instead give up that, that position of leading out. And when they do that, when they take over that position, they're moving out from under a God-given structure. And you can see it. Just look at culture. You can see it all over the place. Where people, when they move out from God's structure of God, Christ, man, and woman, you can see the confusion, you can see all the issues that are developed within our culture. And we're not immune from, from getting some vibes from that and sometimes being careless with guarding that structure. So, the headship order... It's given. And as we look at Jesus as a beautiful example, he and the Father were one. 
But he came down here to this earth to do the will of the Father. And he submitted to the will of the Father. And then he was given the preeminence, as Colossians says. He was given a place of authority over the church. If we forget Jesus' place of authority, we're in trouble. We need to remember the place that Jesus holds as our intercessor, as our mediator, as our helper, as the one that is there to uh, bring the church to completion. The man and woman roles, if we forget the roles that are to be filled, we also are in trouble because we realize that there never can be the family unit that is supposed to be. Why is it that our culture is mixed up with headship roles? Think about it for a moment. Who did Satan go to to try to get to take the fruit off the tree? And why did he go there? Why didn't he try Adam first? Why didn't he say, I'm going to be man, I'm going to stand up to the person that's to be in authority, and I'm going to challenge him? No, he went to the woman first. And it broke down the family unit. It broke down the structure. And God gave commands then and said that a woman has a place under the rule of man, under the guidance of man. He didn't say there that man had any right to be a tyrant or any right to be a person who is authoritative. Instead, he was to be a leader. He was to be a protector. He was to be a guider. And so that role is there. But our, our culture has confused the role of male and female. And we've had it for such a period of time that some people can't even define what a man is or what a woman is today. We had a phone caller on the billboard line that said, you cannot define male or female by the genitalia. You must define them by what's in their brain. So he was saying that he transgendered and um, that he's as much of a man as the phone team member. What's the confusion? He was saying that if God wants us to be happy, we should do whatever we feel like will make us happy, and that's the key ingredient. But his comment that there is no definition for a man stood out to me. How can a culture get to a place where there's no definition of a man? There are consequences for that. He even went so far, and I don't know if I should say this or not, but he, he went to, so far to question, I think I can say this, to question Jesus being a man because he didn't have the father and the XY chromosomes come from the father. Okay? The skew that society has about men and women has brought a lot of heartache. And you still look at a family unit with a man and a woman and their children in a restaurant relating one to another, and you have the most perfect picture of anything. God has created that. That headship order is there, and we need to remember that 
there's a push against that because Satan has enjoyed bringing confusion. In America, we've had the wave, you know, in the 1800s of the women's right to vote. And then we had a move where, you know, women were chafing at their roles of being wives and having to deal with children. We had a wave of women wanting to be expressive, their individuality. Uh, we have a wave today of people that are just wanting to make their mark. We see it with people on the internet. We see women that are becoming bold and putting on their blogs and they're getting attention from everybody and anybody about what they think because they're somebody that is equal to man. Well, this scripture does not talk at all about equality or inequality. It talks about, it does talk about equality. There's equality between man and woman, just like there was equality between Jesus and the Father. But it does talk about a role that is to be filled. And so to erase that position of a male and a female, that headship order is creating all kinds of confusion. It's trying to put a square peg in a round hole, so to speak. That's why the homosexual community is taking off like it is, because they've not lost, they've not recognized, they've not recognized the headship order and what completion comes through a man and a woman and the family structure. We have here in this passage about the literal head. And so he's talking here about the veiling of the woman, the long hair of the woman, the unveiling of the man, and the short hair of the man. Let's talk about hair. Here's a part of our physical makeup. It's probably the most uh, movable thing of our being. We can put it in all kinds of positions. Um, it's something that's recognized as uh, something about our character. The person that is careless with their hair or disheveled, as we would say, we would put them as a person that's maybe undisciplined. Is there a character quality that comes to your mind as you look at somebody who looks like they just came out of bed? Is there a character quality that comes to you as you look at somebody who is unkept and, and disarranged and ruffled and, well, just, just careless? Yes, some are unique. Hair tells you something about your uniqueness. Hair tells you something about whether I want to be getting attention from the group today, tomorrow, so I have to change my hairstyle because it will be an attention getter. It will. That purple strand down the back, that's pretty, pretty nice, isn't it? In some people's mind, that got the attention that they needed that made them tick for the day. I don't understand it. I don't know if they do or not, but something has to get some attention for the day. The mohawk with the rise in the center. I remember that when I was a boy. And I would have been ashamed to walk out of the house like that. There have been things that I would have 
I would have stayed in bed for. If I had to get shaved because of an operation, I would have tried to cover that shave spot. You know, we, we would have been ashamed to be completely bald in, in having been shaved. We know that sometimes that there's unnecessary fear, but there's, there's, things that is, there's things that are said. There's statements that are thought. There's things that are thought about how one appears with their hair style. The scripture says clearly that long hair is for a woman and adds to her beauty. It talks about it being a glory. My mom and dad taught me that my sister is never going to cut her hair. She has. But my mom and dad taught us that girls don't cut their hair because God gave it to them for a glory. But my dad would sometimes say, son, it's time to get a haircut. And so we would get a haircut. Uh, if we left it go too long, uh, he... He reminded us, tomorrow night, we're going to have a session. We're going to get that hair trimmed back to where it looks respectable. That was a word of my dad, and I think I've carried that over. To my sons and daughter, is it respectable? And so God said that there's something to be distinct about male and female. I ask a person who called this week on the billboard line, who said they wanted to transgender to be a male. So it was obviously a female. She wanted to transgender to be a male. I said, what is one of the first things you're going to do? And she said, I'm going to cut my hair. I thought that was interesting because in our society, we have men with long hair. We have women with short hair. What's about the cutting of her hair that was going to put her in a different class? So there's been confusion. In the years that I grew up in public school, we had people that were starting to wear long hair. Men were starting to wear long hair. And we were taught, we were taught that that's a sign of rebellion. So dad said, no, we're not going to have long hair that identifies with the rebellious movement of the 60s. It was a movement that said, here goes, we don't have to listen to any authority anymore, we can just do as we want to do. So that idea has carried through, and I've observed that it is natural for people to associate long hair and men with several things. Either rebellion, or either they want to be effeminate, somewhat like a woman, somewhat less than masculine, or they just want to be an individual that doesn't have to follow the norms. Maybe not necessarily just openly rebellious, but they just want to be a person that kind of has their own identity, their individuality. And so we know that in the scriptures, there were some people that had long hair, some men that had long hair. Samson was one that had the Nazarite vow who had long hair for his life until he disobeyed and it was cut. 
We know that there were others that had it for a period of time when they took the Nazarite vow. But that was a consecration to God. It does not appear that it was a normal thing for men to have long hair. In fact, you looked at the people of Jesus' day, the pictures of leaders like the Caesars and the Herods of that day, and for the most part, you see men with hair like we as men are, have cut right here now. And so there was something about the distinction uh, between the genders that has been long standing. But gender distinction, again, is something that is trying to be avoided in today's culture. Short hair on men has a message about who you are and what's important to you. Again, I'm speaking in general terms. There is something about how the person has their hair that does affect what people's thoughts are of them. If you, as a, as a woman, would be confronted with a man who has shoulder-length hair that's unkept, would your fear level be different than a man who has haircuts like we have here? Now, sure, sure, there's a lot of other things that have to fall into place here. Character has to fall into place. But if there was a long-haired man coming up our walk, Alma would not send, say, honey, just stay sitting on the chair. I'll go get the door. There would be a different level of apprehension. And it would be my place to get up and go to the door and to deal with that visitor or to, to talk with him. And so... It's clear down through time that God has said that there is to be a distinction between male and female and there's supposed to be long hair for the woman and short hair for the men. And culturally, there is still something respectable about men with short hair versus men with long hair. There's still something respectable about a woman with long hair versus her having short hair. There's still something that's recognized as being beautiful. Let's move to the third word, that of honor. So we had head, hair, and honor. What is honor? We sang it several times in a song here today. We sang also glory in one of the songs today. I'm putting the two pretty much together, the idea of giving respect, high respect, viewing something as beautiful, something as God-given, as something that God has recognized to be of value. So we had the order, and we have that man is to honor Christ. Well, woman is to honor Christ, too. And it doesn't take a man for a woman to honor Christ. But when a woman doesn't honor the man, there's something that happens in her relationship to God as well, to Christ as well. 
So he's saying here that the woman is supposed to honor Christ, man is to honor Christ, and by keeping these things we've just been talking about, there is that honoring that can be taking place. For a woman to be uncovered with a veil dishonors her, her head, dishonors what Christ has given, but also dishonors the man who has the responsibility to direct and has God-given authority over her. We look at verses 6 and so on for the idea of it being a covering, a veil that is more than just the hair. If the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Let a man indeed ought, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man, the honor that is given there. Traditionally, our society has recognized women need to have something on their head for worship. You could go back to the catacombs, the Roman catacombs of the time of Christ, and you could see pictures of women veiled. You could go back into the Egyptian culture and you could see pictures of women that had something on their head. Whether a believer or not, it had something to do with their their moral standard had something to do to hide what was a glory for her husband. Over the years, obviously, there are cultures that have kept up with that, but American culture has not. I read this week in Iran that a woman was taken into the police station because she didn't have the proper headdress. She didn't appear appropriately. As a Muslim government, they've asked every person who visits Iran to have, every woman to have something on their head. And the problem that's going on in Iran right now is that the women are rebelling against that and they're moving their headdress back, according to this article, and there was a problem, and this officer was instructed to take her into the police station and to inform her of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable in their culture. And for some reason, she, she died. Uh, the news did not say whether she was somehow killed or whether she died naturally. It was still a question. But the article came out because it was saying that there's been oppression against women and not giving them the freedom to do what they want to do to express themselves as they want to express themselves. I had some Jewish boys that called this week and I asked them, do your does your mother wear something on her head when she goes to the place of worship? Oh yeah, she does. So what about when she goes to town? Well, sometimes. What about in the home? No, no, she doesn't wear anything in the home. Okay, I just was trying to get a Jewish perspective. But then later it came to me, I should have asked them, what does their father do? 
Because a Jewish man has something on his head and he is stating something about himself and his desire to be in relationship with God with that. Now, when I was thinking back into the Old Testament where the priest had something on his head, okay, that was before the time of Christ, who is our ultimate high priest. Not sure if there's a good connection there. It's a thought, okay? We don't have the high priest of a human being today, and so man is instructed not to have something on his head, not to have a literal religious symbol on his head, because we do have Christ that we are seeking to honor. But in America, the veil has been something that has been strongly opposed in the name of letting women have equal rights to men. Again, I reiterate that this chapter is not emphasizing that a man is better than a woman. He is saying there is a different role for a man and a woman. And so when our society says that we need to take this off, we need to take off this visible distinction of a woman. We need to take it off. We are saying we want to promote equality when that's a lie from the devil because that is, that is not really uh, the truth. In 1968, there was a natural organization of women who made a resolution on the head covering. And this is what they said, because of the wearing of a head covering by women at religious services, being a symbol of subjection, the National Organization of Women recommends that all their chapters of the, the organization undertake an effort to have all women participate in a national unveiling. And they're to send their head coverings to the task force chairman. And at the spring meeting of the task force of women and religion, these veils will be publicly burned to protest the second-class status of women in all churches. Uh, women were losing their veils before that, but it was a push in the 60s with the hippie movement to have men be free to do what they wanted to do, they could have long hair. They could show rebellion to authority. They could go out and just do their own thing. And this follows right up with it. So then the women can do the same thing. And if I have it correctly, the Roman Catholic Church took down the requirement that women need to wear a veil coming to church services in 1967 or 1968. When Vatican II was passed is when it happened, and I think the year is 67 or 68, and so no longer did the Catholic women, for the majority of the Catholic Church, have to wear a veil or a head covering. But historically, the Methodists, the Baptists, the uh, many denominations, that was the norm for going to church. Still remember, at Wheelerville, where I grew up, we had a lady that came to the church one Sunday morning, 
and she had cut hair, and she had this little prayer veiling on top. My parents often invited people to our home, and by the time she got to her home, her veiling was no longer on her head. So then my dad said, we're going to have prayer for the meal. And so the lady said, just a minute, and she scrambled to her purse and pulled out her prayer veiling and put it on for the prayer and then promptly took it back and put it in her purse. Okay, we teach that a woman should always be veiled because of the teaching here that says when a woman is praying, which is to be without ceasing, the opportunity to pray is numerous, and when she has the opportunity to prophesy or to teach or to share her faith. What a testimony it's been not only to our communities, but as the scripture says here, it's also a testimony to the angels. The good angels recognize it as God's ordered way, and the evil angels also recognize it as ordered way. They recognize it that there's a power, as verse 10 says, power on her head. And for someone to honor that, there is a tremendous blessing. And I just want to bless you women for your faithfulness in showing your desire to be in God's divine order and your desire to be praying people and your desire to be ready to teach someone who has a question about God and about the gospel message. We know that it makes you stand out. We as men need to do our part in showing support and in showing a willingness to stand alongside and to actually lead out in being separate. That's a challenge in our culture to do that. Does your distinction as men, does my distinction as a man depend solely on my wife's covered head or her wearing a dress? That's a question went through my mind this week. Or is there a distinction that you and I have in our mannerisms or in our way of relating that says there's a godly man, there's a person that has a goal to honor Christ instead of to exalt himself. The prayer veiling is not a magical thing. If I had one sitting here on the pulpit, it would not be something that had power. The prayer veiling is given here with the combination of a woman's long hair and her head. The covered head is the symbol of power. The position that a woman desires to be under her head, the man. If it symbolizes oppression to you, then I question whether your view of subjection to your husband is what it should be as well. But if your view of needing to be in God's divine order 
woman, man, Christ, and God, then this shares with others that statement and makes it public. There are women that have testified to the protection that they have felt by wearing a prayer veiling. They have testified to more than just the protection, but the respect that's been for that. Honor it. We're not better than anyone else when we wear it. We're saying we're seeking to be obedient to God, to honor what God has given as a command. I know it in this chapter here, we have the communion service as well. Some would say, why is the prayer veiling only given once? If you look at the Gospels, we don't have the command to keep communion. We have the command to keep communion in the Pauline epistles. We have the example of it given, but in the Gospels it doesn't say, do this until the Lord returns. It's in Paul's writings that it gives that. My point in saying it is that just because something is given once doesn't mean that it's not as weighty. On the other hand, we don't take this doctrine and put more weight on it than any other doctrine. We continue to value the teachings of God and seek to carry them out as he has given them to us in the word of God. So there are cultures that are actually strengthening the veiled women's uh, position because they've recognized what has happened in a culture that does not have gender distinction. True, there are some that have violated. Men have not stood up and done what they should have done, and so there's been violation. But there's also, in our culture, that movement to just do away with anything that is distinguishing between the genders. And there is a reaping that will come and is coming because of that. Confusion. We as men do wear hats. We as men do not keep from wearing weather protection, nor do we have our wives keep from wearing weather protection. But when we come into a public place or we come to a place of teaching, we take off our hats. That's something that we can observe today that has fallen by the wayside that of taking off your hat when you go into a restaurant or taking your hat off when you go into a building. There's something respectful about that. There's something that says that um, I realize that my uncovered head, my lack of that a religious symbol on my head is saying that there is a position under Christ. What does a woman's covered head say? It says, I want to follow the biblical command. I want to accept God's order of headship. I want to say to the angels, there is power here. Not magical power. There is power from God because of this. Also, a man's uncovered head is saying, I want to follow the biblical command. 
and I want to accept the position that God has given me to be a person who takes God-given authority and responsibility. Fill your divine role. God has given it. This chapter, speaking about the headship order, speaking about how the hair enters into that and how we are to honor what God has set down for us. Recognize your head, honor God's blessing on this design. Let's kneel together for prayer.